0: Remember where we've been, the Olivet Discourse. We spent many weeks on this. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is answering the disciples' question, When will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? And we spent a long time on the tribulation stuff, things leading up to the tribulation, the world situation that we're living in now, what to expect as this thing starts to unwind more and more. We learned about this last week at the last thing Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse was the sheep and the goat judgment. And you know that the sheeps are on the right hand. The good guys are on the right hand. And the bad guys are on the left hand. Those on the left are the bad guys. (laughs) Just saying. Just saying. So anyway, uh, the plot, the anointing, the betrayal, Matthew 26, 1 through 16. Please stand as we read the word of God together. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon, the leper A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and and she poured it on his head, and he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, "Why why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in the pouring of this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. This is the word of God. Our father, we are again thankful that you have given us your word as a template, as a guide for our lives. This is ultimate truth. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the truth of how we are to live in this world while we are waiting for your arrival. Now, Lord, I ask you, open our spiritual eyes to this lesson today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each heart, penetrate each person and that everyone that is hearing this message today will be changed because they have had time with the living God inputting into their hearts. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. Now remember, the sheep on the right, their destiny is very different than the goat's. And the sheep and the goat judgment. And we talked about this last time. Matthew 25, 34. The sheep's destiny is this Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Now, listen to this from the foundation of the world. The goats. Contrast that with the goats. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, you must realize that the sheep were the ones that helped israel in their time of need during the tribulation period the goats were the ones that were promoted evil and destruction of the jewish people during the tribulation period these are the nations being judged the ethnos the people groups that are being judged for how they treated israel the ones that were favorable to israel go into the kingdom and if you remember the ones that were against israel the ones that persecuted israel they end up separated, and we know that they're in a place called torment now. And I spent a lot of time talking about torment and paradise and paradise being emptied, and now we're absent from the body, present with the Lord, and that whole thing last time. So I just wanted to remind you of that. Now, I also want you to, to, to focus on this key point here, is that God is desiring a family for himself. God created us in such a way... That he gave us the ability to choose for him or against him. That is called contrary choice. You can choose for him or against him. He gave the angelic realm that ability, and he gave humanity that ability, his highest creation, to choose for him or against him. He desires a family. Now, God could have, and this is what people want today, they want everything to be hunky dory today. Why could a, a loving God allow all this evil into the world? And what they miss is that this world is full of evil for one reason it goes all the way back to adam and eve it goes all the way back to the fall of man when you talk about the fall of man it's from his righteous position with god being able to commune with god adam and eve were perfect able to speak to god face to face and then they sinned and then god exited their presence he couldn't be in their presence anymore because of sin and since then crud has been in the world so don't blame god for the mess that is in this world for the evil every death every disease every illness every war every conflict every mess that is in somebody's life goes all the way back to the garden and sin and satan and the fall of man that's the truth so please do not impugn god What we are looking for, what people are looking for today is the kingdom. Well, the kingdom is coming. But in order to go into the kingdom, you have to be a believer in Messiah and believe that he died in your place, took your sin debt. That's the only way you get into the kingdom. So God desires a family that would love him freely. He could have pre-programmed us. But that would not be genuine love. That would be phony love. That would be contrived love. That would be robot love. Real, genuine love must be volitional, willing, willing. And that's called agape love. It'll come up on the screen. This is how God loves us. We cannot love God, agape, until he first loves us. Agape speaks of the most powerful, noblest type of love. Folks, this is sacrificial love. This is not a feeling love. You know, so many marriages... After two years of marriage, that little thing in your stomach, that little, that little tingle you have inside, that's gone, okay? That goes. And so many people feel that they fell out of love. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Your love is deepening. You're going from, you're going from eros love, that sexual attraction love that brought you together. You're going into agape, phileo, friendship love with your, with your bride, and then agape, I, I'm going to love out of the will of my heart, sacrificially for somebody. This is a much deeper love than the Eros love that had connected you at the beginning. Now, what you want to do in your marriage, I had nothing to do with my talk here, but I'll just tell you, you want to keep the Eros love alive. You want to keep the romance alive in your marriage. That takes work. It doesn't happen automatically. As you grow older, that's going to, you have to have that planned out, planned out that you're going to do something romantic with your spouse has nothing to do with the talk. I'm off topic now, so let me get back. (laughs) So agape love, sacrificial love. This is a love that God has for his people that prompted the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus, for our sins. Jesus was agape love personalized. Now hear this, because God is free. He has made you in his image free, free, free to love him freely. Zadiadi says this in his Greek text about this agape. For man to show love to God, he must first appropriate God's agape love. For only God has such unselfish love. 1 John 4.19 says this. We love him because he first loved us. Did you hear that? We don't love him first. He loves us And then we love him. God loves and enables us to love him. We cannot love God. We cannot know God until God first pours out his agape love into us. And then we must respond to his initiation of that relationship with us. Do, Do you understand? I almost sounded Pentecostal there, didn't I? Do you understand? Give me an amen. Yes, anyway. Yes. So God is always the initiator. He's always the pursuer in the relationship with people. God pursued you first. Now, you know John 3.16, don't you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the promise. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why Jesus came, to save the the lost, to save those without any hope. God's love is given to the world but must be received. God pursues us. God gives the person the faith to believe. I hope you know that. But God will not believe for you. He will not believe for you. This is something you must do. In the Olivet Discourse in our last sermon, there would be no more discourses, no more sermons by Jesus. He is reaching the end of his life. This is Tuesday, Tuesday evening of his life. And he's just got a couple more days before he's going to be on the cross. On the cross. He has presented his credentials as the king to the nation of Israel and to its leadership, and it was rejected. The king has showed the Jewish leadership and the people that he is indeed the Messiah. He has done things that only Messiah can do, and he was summarily rejected, because Israel rejected Jesus, the kingdom was taken away from them, the kingdom was postponed, remember the millennial kingdom is coming, the kingdom is postponed, and we've entered into something called the church, oh good, somebody said a church age, yes, it's the church age, and that's where the church now, it has a responsibility to tell the world about Messiah, about Jesus Christ, and his life-saving message the church age will go until the rapture of the church we go into the tribulation period and the son of man will return at the end of the tribulation period and then the kingdom starts we've been through this many times now jesus now is on a one-way trip to the cross no stopping it's full speed ahead and we're going to see what happens in the next few weeks as we get closer and closer to the cross This week, the Pharisees will plot to kill Jesus. Mary will have the insight to prepare him for burial and anoint him with oil. The disciples will miss this. And Judas will conspire with the chief priest and everybody else that hates Jesus to murder him, to find a perfect time. We pick it up in verse 1 through 5. It's two days to the cross. But I want, to th- want you to think about something. The, the atrocity of the cross, the awfulness of the cross, the awfulness of stuff that happens in our life. But I want you to pick up on this phrase, but God, but God, but God will intervene, but God in your life. So verses one through five. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that's the Olivet Discourse, that is that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now, Jesus is making a statement of fact here. He is going to be crucified on Passover, and he's telling these people, these disciples, again, for the umpteenth time, he's going to be crucified. Now, where does it go in the disciples' mind? Voomp, voom, voom! right over their heads. They don't have a clue what's going on. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. Now, Annas was the real high priest in Israel. Rome did not like Annas. So they put his son-in-law in his place. Caiaphas was more of a compromiser. He could blend between the Jews and he could blend between Rome And so he kind of fit in the in between he was very political and plotted to take jesus by trickery and kill him but they said not during the feast lest there be an uproar among the people now again hear this jesus is giving his disciples a heads up in two days he will die but he won't die anyway he will die by crucifixion they won't behead him they won't stone him they won't stab him. They won't throw him over a cliff like they tried to do earlier in the Gospels. They will, try, they will crucify the Son of God. On a prescribed day, in a prescribed way, he will die. Now remember, crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst. For the most despicable criminals. And that's how Jesus would die. God questions, says this about crucifixion, quote, Crucifixions was meant to inflict the maximum amount of shame and torture upon the victim. Roman crucifixions were carried out in public, by the way, stripped naked, before everyone, including his mother and the women and everyone else. Could you imagine the embarrassment? They were carried out in public so that all who saw the horror would be deterred from crossing the Roman government. Crucifixion was so horrible that it was reserved for only the worst offenders End quote the romans did not invent crucifixion folks but they certainly did perfect it i mean they knew how to torture and they knew how to kill people and again this was the fourth time that the disciples were told that jesus was going to die now these guys are in denial they still think the kingdom's coming they're still thinking that jesus is going to do something great and terrific right now and they're going to go into the kingdom Messiah's kingdom is going to be established, and he's going to somehow rescue us from Roman persecution. Dying on the cross did not resonate with the disciples. They just didn't get it. I don't know why, but they just didn't get it. Jesus says, now watch this, Jesus says one thing, he's going to die at this prescribed time, but the Jewish leadership is saying something else, not during the feast. Let me read verse 3 again to you. Then the chief priest, the scribes, the lawyers of the day, the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. There they conspired to kill Jesus. It just depended upon God's timing, not their time. They think it's all about them. The leadership, the elders were going to take him by trickery. You know what that is? Deception. When you hear the word deception, who do you immediately relate deception to? Satan, he's the great deceiver. I mean, it just stinks of Satan. Just stinks of Satan. We know that he, he is behind these people being instigated. Remember, the leadership influences the people, and they are all in on killing Jesus. Satan thinks he is in control. This is a fact. These foolish leaders think they are in control. Today, in our world, foolish leaders think they are in control. They think they're controlling this world system. They are not. They are not. What they do not know, and what most people do not know, and it passes over them, is that the plan to kill Jesus came from the Godhead. From the Godhead, this was God's plan for humanity because he loved humanity, and it was the only way to save humanity was offer up his son in our place. That's called the substitutionary atonement. He died in my place. His blood sacrifice pacified the wrath of God that I deserved. That's the gospel message. So the second person of the Trinity from eternity past was always in the mind of God. This never was made up as... See, God is outside of time. He's not thinking in sequence like we think. I've said this many times. This was always in the mind of God, always in the mind of God. He's not responding to world circumstances. He knows the beginning from the end. The soul that sins must die, it says in Exodus 18:20. We all have the sin curse passed on to us by Adam. We have inherited this sin curse. By one man, sin came into the world, and death through sin, and death passed upon all men because all have sinned. We are all sinners and need a Savior. And what the nation of Israel missed, what the disciples missed, what Judas missed, is that they need a Savior. We need a Savior before a king, someone to save us from our sins. So this plan was an eternity past. God's plan is expressed in Acts 2.23, Him, Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose, and oh, here's a theological word, the foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Now, foreknowledge simply means to know beforehand. The word is prognosis, pro-before-gnosis, to know, to know beforehand. We say the word today, when you go to a doctor, what is the Prognosis. Same word, same spelling. The doctors to know beforehand and give you some usually pathetic guess as to what they think is going to happen. When God knows, He knows specifically. Your doctor doesn't know. So these murderers are not saying during the feast, the Passover, Jesus said it's going to be during the feast. Who do you think is going to win the argument? Jesus wins the argument. He knows exactly what's going to happen. They conspire. They think they've got Jesus. They're going to kill him on the cross. But I'm telling you, when it looks the darkest before the dawn, think of the word, but God. Think of the word, but God, in your life. You never know when God is going to intervene. The but God lesson, all believers must learn this lesson. Now, hear me. People can conspire. People can plot people can do whatever they want, plan whatever they want, but God will determine how things are played out. It will not be man. It will not be puny, little inadequate man, not deceptive Satan, not the demonic entities in this world, but God only. Now look, at. I'm going to say something here. Can somebody say amen? Because that is an amen statement if I've ever heard one, but God only. Yes. The world system, folks, we know will implode, and we are on the fast track to that, and we are living in that epoch of time where that will happen. God will determine when it will implode, not a group of men plotting and strategizing, not the world systems, and I'll tell you who's not going to figure this whole thing out. Putin isn't going to figure this out. He's not going to determine this. G whatever this guy's name is, Xi Jinping whoever his name is, I'm close close to that, the Chinese guy, he's not going to determine it. And it's definitely not going to be Kim Jong-un in North Korea. He's not going to control anything. And I can tell you, Ali Khamani, the guy that's running Iran right now, he's not going to control it either. But God, but God, secret societies won't determine it. Powerful men will not determine it. Klaus Schwab won't determine this. Bill Gates will not determine this. George Soros will not determine this. No, sir. The World Economic Forum, they can meet all they want. That gives us an indication of direction. They're not going to determine this. It's God. But God will determine this. Not puny humanity. The Jewish leadership was all about their timing. But God had something else to say. Now, things may look bleak, awful, hopeless. And the cross certainly was all of that. Jesus knew what awaited him. The disciples were well aware of what crucifixion was like. People were crucified all over Jerusalem, all over the, the, the Jewish countryside. They saw this. They saw the atrociousness of it. But God, our sovereign member, is in full control. And I would ask you to never, ever, ever doubt this fact. Never doubt this fact. Resurrection Sunday was just a few days away. And folks, on Resurrection Sunday morning, the sun arose on the horizon and the sun, S-O-N, arose out of the grave. Up from the grave, There was that was a good amen. That was, a, that was nice, thank you. It's not over till it's over, folks. God will work all things for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. Never forget that. This may help you deal with the current events that we're living in today. The implosion of our world, all of the the massive information from media that we're getting about this war, some of these awful, awful pictures. I mean, if you go to Amir's telegram, you're going to see some awful stuff there. So guard your mind if you can't take it. I mean, it, he's going to be right up to date on what's happening there. And it's terrible what's going on. And we're being pounded with this, pounded with this, pounded with this. It affects us. It affects us. But I want you to remember what you're seeing may be disturbing and unsettling, but, but God is in control. It is not out of control. He's predicted that this would happen. Wars, rumors of wars, ethnos against ethnos, people against people group. It's happening all over the place. God's kingdom, his folks, is right around the corner. And all of this mess will one day be done. Folks, Richard Farmer had it right. I will trust in the Lord until I die. I don't care what it looks like, sounds like, smells like. I will trust in the Lord until I die. Mary gets it. Mary knows that Jesus is going to die. The disciples don't get it. Mary does. Verse 6 through 13, she anoints Jesus for burial. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head, as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, another heads up, disciples, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial for her. I mean, kudos to Mary. Kudos to Mary. This narrative is not sequential in the book of Matthew. He goes by subject to subject. This actually goes back about four days. We know that in John's gospel and Mark's gospel, John chapter 12, verse 1 through 8, and Mark 14. Jesus arrives in Bethany. He's at the house of Simon the leper. Martha is there. Lazarus is there reclining at the table, waiting to be served. And then Mary is there with the costly oil. Now, I want you to think about this. Mary paid for this oil. This oil is from Mary's pocketbook. She must have saved it. She must have scrimped and saved for this oil. It it was special to her. So it's very precious what what is going on here. Now watch, Mark adds this. Mary broke the flask containing the oil. All the costly oil went on Jesus. Now, if it was us, we'd take a little, little oil, dab it. Oh, here you go, Jesus. I'll anoint you here. Oh, a little bit on your feet here. No, she actually pours it on his head, on his feet. I mean, she just covers him. All the oil goes on Jesus. She gave her all for the master, all the expense. That's true worship, folks. Now, what resulted in this giving of this expensive perfume is the following. This started a brouhaha. Anybody familiar with that word? Brouhaha. That's that's a trouble. Amongst the disciples, Judas leading the charge. Remember, Judas is sounding so pious. So many people use God talk and Jesus speak all the time. They don't really know the master. Certainly Judas didn't. Judas says, why was this fragrant oil? This is in John chapter 12, verse 5 through 6. Judas says, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii, a year's wage, and given to the poor? This he said, now he's exposed. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. Judas forever exposed as the thief, the one who conspired to kill Jesus. You know what he was really ticked off at? This could have been sold. The money could have been put in the box for him to pilfer from. That's what he's ticked off about. And then Jesus, so it's great. Jesus is so great. He comes to the rescue. He says this in Mark 14, 6, similar to our Matthew passage. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Now, again, don't miss this. Jesus' death is imminent and his disciples are oblivious. Mary isn't the disciples missed the significance of the morning of the moment Mary did not miss this incredible opportunity that she had to worship her Lord giving her best for her Lord. The lesson is this folks. The lesson is this. Don't miss your opportunity to do something great for God, out of the ordinary for God. It may cause criticism and I might I say it will cause criticism it will expect that mary got criticism anytime you do something great people look at you like you're stone cold crazy it will cost you to be great for god bring your best sacrifice bring your best you to whatever you're doing you're representing a king folks you're representing a king he is the lord jesus christ he is the one that we're representing. We're his ambassadors. We are to work for him with passion. We should be the best person in our workplace. You've heard this like a million times, okay, but you get to hear it a million and one. Uh, we are to be our absolute greatest for his glory. Our utmost, as it says, for his highest in, in, in that material let's put out. Our greatest for his glory. Worship is going to always cost you. If it doesn't cost you, folks, it's not from the heart. It costs you to come here today. I bet you 50, well, I don't know, what percent would it be, Dale? It would be 80% didn't feel like coming today. You got up and said, oh, man, man, it's sunny out. Haven't seen that in a long time. I think I want to take a walk. It would be nice to have some coffee. Oh, the birds are out there. Oh, it would be so cool. Yes, you didn't feel like coming. It cost you. It costs you something to get up. And then when you get here, you want to come with a good attitude. Not like, oh, well, I got to be here. No, get your attitude straight before you come. Yeah. Now listen to this. What Mary has done will be remembered forever as a memorial. But what Judas has done will be remembered also as a, a, a catastrophe for him. Whenever you see the disciples listed, their names listed in Scripture, Peter is always first, Judas is always last, and it's always with the tag, the betrayer. Forever, he's noted as the betrayer of Jesus. Mary forever, the one who worshiped Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about the betrayer. Now, I think that one of the things that really moved Judas was that he he was disappointed in Jesus. He was disappointed in Jesus, verse 14 through 16. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Now what Matthew doesn't share, we find in Luke that Satan entered Judas and had him, he motivated him to get involved in this conspiracy. Judas had to do something for Satan to enter him. He had to be thinking about this, giving himself over to this for some period of time before this actually happened. Satan just doesn't enter somebody for nothing. He knows who he can use in any situation. So Judas made himself available for Satan to enter, to enter into this conspiracy to kill Jesus. So the scripture does not reveal exactly why Judas did it. We know that he was possessed by Satan. Satan hates Jesus. But I think what started out is he was disappointed in Jesus. He was disappointed in Jesus. Now listen to this. Judas saw all the miracles. Do you know that he was at the feeding of the 5,000? He's watching the bread, the fish, and the loaves multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. Here it goes more. Here it goes more. Here it goes more. Five to 15,000 people with the kids and the women. Are fed at this thing. He saw this. No one's ever done that. You know, people read John and say, "Greater things will you do?" If you, you know, no, you're not going to do greater things than Jesus. It's for another discussion what that really means. But anyway, uh, remember Judas saw the feeding of the five thousand. Judas was when they went out two by two. And in, in Luke chapter nine, verses one and two, Ju- Judas was also given authority with the twelve over demons, disease to preach the gospel that people will hear, and to heal. He experienced all of that. Judas heard the Sermon on the Mount. He witnessed for three years the heart of Jesus. He saw the love of Jesus. He saw the miracles of Jesus. He saw the amazing things of Jesus. Judas was privy to knowing what rabbinic tradition said, that only the Messiah would do these miracles you remember them, heal a man blind from birth, cast out a demon from someone who was deaf and could not speak, heal a leper. He knew that tradition. They all did. And Jesus did every one of them. He demonstrated he was the Messiah. But it didn't matter to Judas. Judas was with Jesus for three years and had firsthand experience with Jesus. Judas saw Jesus, excuse, excuse me, Judas saw Judas experienced, yet Judas was a phony, disappointed in Jesus. Isn't that astounding? Isn't that astounding? Many say this, if I could just see a miracle, then I would believe. Let me tell you, folks, right in this room, vast majority of you, maybe, I don't know if everybody's saved in this room or not, probably not. Okay? Probably not. Everyone that was saved in this room was the greatest miracle that ever can occur. You were taken from darkness into light. The kingdom of hell into the kingdom of heaven. Your destiny was eternally changed. That's the greatest miracle of all. People believe. Judas saw all this. He experienced everything. Didn't change him. Didn't change him one ounce. Where did Jesus go wrong? This is, where did Judas go wrong? This is the question. Now one thing you can know for sure Judas did not fool Jesus. In the book of John he is exposed like no other book. Watch what John says that Jesus says about Judas. He was a devil in John 6:70, a thief in John 12:6, an unbeliever in John 6:64, a spiritually unclean in 1310, but yet he held a position of responsibility within the group with the money box. In John 1329, Judas may have fooled the disciples. Judas may have fooled his friends and his family. Judas may have fooled the community, but Judas never fooled Jesus. Jesus knew what was in him. Colin Smith, the pastor of Orchard Evangelical Free Church, says this. Listen closely. Quote Judas went out into the darkness he had chosen. When you get close to Jesus, one of two things will happen either you will become wholly his, or you will end up more alienated from him. For those who get close, the only outcomes are full devotion or eventual antagonism. And every day, each one of us is heading in one direction or the other good word Colin fully devoted or more irritated where are you I think that's a fair question a fair question like many today Judas was disappointed in Jesus Jesus wasn't quite doing everything he thought he should do Jesus did not do what was expected when expected the way he expected you know Judas was all in when it was about the kingdom Hip, hip, hooray, go Jesus. Yay, Jesus. When he was on the winning side, thought he was on the winning. He, oh, get him, Jesus. Get him, Jesus. When he thought he could get something from Jesus, he was all about it. On the triumphal entry that previous Sunday, remember this is Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, okay? Tuesday evening, going into Wednesday. He was all in. Jesus is claiming his kingship on the triumphal entry. He was all in then. And then Jesus went and cleansed the temple. Remember right after the triumph he cleansed the temple. And, and Judas must be thinking, oh, this is it. This is the Jesus that I want to see. The one that's really bashing people around, throwing them out. The money changers. Then Jesus started talking about dying again. And Judas did not like that. Why was Jesus not rallying the troops to take over Rome? He must have thought. We want the kingdom now. Judas wanted the kingdom now. The disciples wanted the kingdom now. Judas says, Judas is thinking this way. Jesus is speaking about his death. We're wasting the money that could have been in my pocketbook. I'm really tipped off now. Judas wanted to skim more. And then Jesus reprimanding him and the rest of the disciples. It started to become too much for Judas to bear. He's going, he's going to die. This whole thing's falling apart. I have to do something for myself. I think that's what he was thinking. Judas was disappointed in Jesus. And Judas' last-ditch effort to save something from the last three years that he invested in this following Jesus, thinking the kingdom was coming then, of sacrifice, plotted with the chief priest to betray him. That's what he did. And Satan entered him, and off he went to the chief priest. What they agreed upon was an, was amazing, 30 pieces of silver, about a month's wage, the price paid for a gored slave in the Old Testament. This shows the disdain that, Sa- that Sanhedrin had for Jesus, the little price that Judas had for Jesus, and certainly who Satan has for Jesus. He's orchestrating this thing, he thinks. Judas learned nothing about servanthood. He learned nothing about agape love. He learned nothing about the master. Judas was simply an earth-dweller, someone in love with this world and himself, consumed with himself and no one else. That was Judas. That is many people today. Closing thoughts. So many people believe the Christian life is all about wealth and position and power. They do you believe in Jesus? Everything's going to be right. Everything's going to be cool in your life. Look, it's your eternity that's at stake. We're not to be, we're not to be earthly-minded, but heavenly-minded. If Jesus doesn't meet every little whim and every little need, doesn't heal every little bump and dipsel on your body, every little thing that you bring before Him, and you get discouraged with Jesus, disappointed in Jesus, and so many. Like when you're a kid, and you're playing ball, and the kid doesn't get picked for your team, but he's got the ball. He takes his ball and goes home, so nobody can play. Judas, someday, this Christ their attitude is this, I thought this was interesting. Someday, their thinking is this, this Christian thing isn't working for me. You ever hear people say that? This Christian thing isn't working for me. The disappointed in Jesus crowd are numerous. The disappointed in Jesus crowd become the, oftentimes become the make-believe in Jesus crowd. They make up a Jesus in their own image. A Jesus that will do whatever they want them to do. Many want a Jesus that is all about them, and folks, it's the genie Jesus. Rub the lamp, get what I want, Jesus, and poof. Out comes Jesus, to meet all of your needs, all of your wants, just give you everything, the genie Jesus, a Jesus you control, a Jesus that you're in charge of. Folks, that's the wrong Jesus. That's the wrong Jesus. The make-believe Jesus is very popular today in America. What the make-believe crowd is missing is the real Jesus. I think America in general is missing the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that tells us really clear, really clear, take up your cross, die to self, to the self-life, and follow me. Take up yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's the Scripture. Remember John 10:27. my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Are you following the Master? Are you following the master for who he is? Galatians 2.20 makes it real clear. What's what Paul says? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I owe everything to Jesus. I owe everything that I have to Jesus. I owe nothing. I am a steward. He owns everything. I'm a caretaker of what he's given me. How are you taking care of the stuff that Jesus has given you? That's the question. You'll you'll give an account of that one day. For the genuine, for those who hold loosely, let me say that again, for those who hold loosely to this world stuff are not earth dwellers, they will not be disappointed in Jesus. They will be in awe and wonder of Jesus. Now, look, look, I don't know if you notice what's going on around you, but our whole financial system is about to collapse. Okay, I'm, 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 not, I'm not trying to be do, gloom and doom for you. Look at your 401K. Look at your retirement. I, I don't even look anymore. I mean, it is, it is on a nosedive. Now, you can become concerned with that. You can start to, oh, oh, here's my nails. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Trust in the Lord. Disappointed in Jesus. Now, I want to be honest here. Well, I guess I'm supposed to be honest. <laughs> You're supposed to be honest. Okay, but let's be honest, and we're talking about this. We all have a wonder, what in the world are you doing Jesus moments? Now, let's, we, we have, what in the world is this all about? I, I didn't expect this. From left field you don't you don't expect these things but we never have I'm disappointed in Jesus moments I can have I wonder what's going on moments but I'm not going to be disappointed in Jesus because I know that he is working all things out according to a counsel of his will he knows where I'm at he knows the fire he knows the flood he is with me through it all and he will get me through it all one way or another this will get better or he'll give me the strength to push through. One or the other. One or the other, I'm going to be victorious. Matthew has been teaching us about Jesus' kingdom. Matthew is preparing us to be kingdom-minded while we are here. Folks, there's a kingdom coming. We pray it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the point of that prayer, the disciples' prayer. He's praying that the king, we were praying for his kingdom to come. I want your kingdom to come, Lord. I'm looking forward to the day when you're in charge. I hope you are. I hope you are. We're being prepared for another place, folks. For the disappointed in Jesus crowd, the instant gratification crowd, the I want my way. Remember the I want my maple commercial? The I want my way crowd. The real Christian life is not for you. It is not for you. The real Christian life, folks, is about serving. The real Christian life is about change. The real Christian life is about you being different than you were before. Some sort of progression forward, not regression backwards. We, we take these steps forward and backwards, but hopefully you see your life going up, down, oh, up, down, up, but see how it's still ascending. Still ascending. We're never going to be perfect. Perfect up at the st- the ceiling there, this is a 30, 40, 50, 70, 90, mark 100, okay, 101, boom. But he's still not even close to the ceiling, okay? Getting a little bit better all the time. Going down a little bit better. Examine your life. Is there growth in your life? That is what you are to do. Examine yourself. See where in the world you're at. But for, for those of the but God crowd, and that's us, folks. Those who really believe that God is sovereign and in control know this. God is actively, actively, actively involved in my life even when life stinks. Let's face it, that's a lot of times. The but God crowd live with an expectation that this world simply does not have. Let me say this. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you. You have a power in you that the world cannot touch. You have the spirit of the living God that manifests himself inside your being makes his home inside of you you have something the world does not have and if I have Jesus and I have the spirit of God in me I'm not going to be moved by the things in this world okay I might get disturbed for a moment then I have to realize God's in control then I remember Richard Farmer I will trust in the Lord until I die I will trust in him no matter what the butt God, God crowd are not rooted here, but rooted in another kingdom, another world, another place, a place that's called home. The butt crowd realizes that no matter what is happening in my life, that God is close. He has not abandoned you. He is close. That word as an attribute of God called imminent. have come up on the screen. Imminent, not imminence, but imminent. God is present in the universe, involved with my life. God is close. People can experience God in their lives. God is close. God acts in history and influences events. Believe this, folks. God is close and God is in charge. Did everybody hear that? Okay, thank you. That's the truth. Acts 17, 26 through 27. You want us to read the whole thing? Where Paul says, the earth is the Lord and the well. Right. Acts 17, 26 and 27. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. Take a hard stop right there. We are all brethren, all of us. That's right. uh, This is a kid's song, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That is a true song. That is a true song. One nation, one blood, one people who dwell on the face of the earth, he has determined their pre-appointed time. You were born for this pre-appointed time by God. He has placed you here for this time. He has placed you in Battle Creek. Don't get mad at him. You're here for a purpose. <laughs> and watch this. And he has set, and the boundaries of, he, he has determined their pre-appointed times, and the boundaries of their dwellings. God is for borders. God is for boundaries. No nation, God's purpose was not to have all the nations come together. It's too much sin involved. It was like the Tower of Babel. He is for borders, and boundaries of their dwelling, so they should seek for him and grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And it goes on to say, in him we live and move and have our being. All in God. All in God. God is triune, folks. God is self-existent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is everything to us, immutable, unchangeable. He is imminent. He is transcendent. He is outside of creation. He's not like us. You can never figure him out. Listen to this. We are almost home. We sang that song last week, remember Mercy Me. Almost home. You can hang your hat on that. You know, Bill Gaither wrote a song about a thousand years ago, and it was this, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Just, just let this resonate within you. His words are profound. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. Joint heirs, remember, you inherit what Jesus has inherited. That is an amen statement. For I'm a part of the family, the family of God. Listen to this. Only the but God crowd can say. Only the family of God can say, I will trust in the Lord until I die. And I can say this, and maybe you can say it too. Thank God. Thank God we are almost home. Now, I was going to have that, I was going to have that. (laughs) I was going to have the mercy me thing again, but I didn't want to do it two weeks in a row. But anyway, I want to finish with these words. We're almost home. That is great news. In a world of crud news, that is great news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Thank you for the promises of the Lord Jesus that he will not leave us here, but he will come for us at his time. And we know that this time is rapidly approaching. And Father, I ask you to help us to live all out for the master while we are here. May we invest our lives in things of the master. May we represent him at our work, in our home, in our families, on the teams, any venue that you put us in. And may we be our greatest for his glory. May we not waste the precious life that you have given us. Lord, it's a gift. Life is a gift. And I thank you that you've allowed us to live and even to see this day when so many things are changing like never before in our world, we are privileged, honored to live at this time to see the second coming of Messiah unfolding right before our eyes. Oh, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.